It's a privilege to be with you. I've had such a long time friendship with your pastor, Scott and Connie. have been friends for longer than we want to say, decades, a uh, long time, but uh, since I think you were in college when we first met. Uh, but uh, I appreciate uh, him and them and uh, uh, getting to know your staff and serving with them, various ones through the years. And Kevin loved me so much, he left town when he heard I was coming. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll get with him about that later. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's just great to be with you, and I appreciate so much the privilege of being here again. Uh, this time on a special day when you're focusing on the significance and the role of men in the body of Christ. So very, very important. And we're going to be uh, talking about that in a minute. Let me just first say that um, as editor of the Biblical Recorder, I am just very, very excited about what God's doing in our state to give us a chance to work together like we've never worked before. And we do, this, this is going to take a team effort, but we've got to impact our state for Christ. Uh, I could give you a lot of statistics that show you how many lost there are, but right now in North Carolina, uh, there are about five million or more that don't go to church anywhere uh, in our state. A lot of people. And if we're going to make a difference, it's going to be working together. And the biblical recorder is one of those tools that helps ties church together, the churches together in our state, and, and in keep you informed. And I want you to pick up a free copy of uh, some of the most recent one. There's some on a table out front. And uh, you'll see on the front page, we've got a story about our North Carolina Baptist men and a, a recent project they did that is just tremendous, uh, a Supreme Court action that uh, affects churches. Inside, we have church news. We talk about church plants, churches that are struggling. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Roman Gabriel, uh, does a, a, a regular column in here, and Roman's got his story. He takes the story of Christian athletes and tells about them. He did one on Tim Tebow a few weeks ago. He does one on Trot Nixon now. Uh, but uh, just a lot of other things. What's going on in India, what's going on in different parts of the world, in North Carolina. The stories are here. So uh, get a copy. But the main thing is we need you to be getting it regularly. As uh, your pastor said, we want to give you a three-month trial. And if you will come by a desk out there, fill out this card, you can leave it with me or you can mail it to us. It asks for your address, and it may be um, a little tricky here. It says your name, your church, and address. The address is not your church address. It's your address. We just like to know the reference of what church people uh, are a part of. So um, fill that in, and, uh, and if you want to go ahead and, and just pay now and subscribe to it, the information is on there. Just mark on there, bill me, and tell me how many years you want it. But I'm not here to, to sell papers. I'm here to try to help us do kingdom work. We've got a lot to do. There, there's a, just a huge job ahead of us. And we need a tool. There is no tool in North Carolina quite readily available like this one. And things like early in May, the first week in May, you're going to have the opportunity to go to the polls and help be salt and light and influence our state for what the Bible says the definition of marriage is. Now, we've got a lot of stories to tell you and information to give you between now and then. But you're probably not going to get it if, if you're not receiving this. If you just get secular news, you're going to get a whole different slant, and it's not going to be a biblical perspective. Um, but this is a tool that helps us get the proper information from the proper channels 
And uh, our perspective is clearly Christian. We want to help you with that, but we can't help you if you're not getting it. There is a website. All the information that's in the paper is not necessarily on the website. Some of it is. But please visit our website. We've recently totally retooled, rebuilt, uh, high-tech website, BRNOW. BR, of course, standing for Biblical Recorder, now.org. And we want you to go there. Now, if you like typing uh, a lot, you can have fun typing out biblicalrecorder.org, and that'll get you there, too. But if you're just like most of us, you know, give me the Reader's Digest, brnow.org. It'll get you there. But uh, we want to help because I want to stand with your pastor and your church and the other Baptist churches in this region, in this state, to make a solid impact for Christ. We're convicted that Christ is the only hope for North Carolina and for the world. And uh, we're not a church. We're a publication. Uh, The church is, is primary. The church is how God's going to impact this state. But we're just kind of one of those support teams out there that encourages and helps connect churches, provide the information, encouragement, and motivation. So um, we can't do it without uh, you wanting us to help you. So I hope you'll want to be on that team with us. And let's stand together for the gospel of Jesus Christ in North Carolina. All right? Now, your Baptist Men's Day. Today we're going to talk to the men a whole lot. Now, ladies, you can relax and just enjoy this. But um, it just so happens the Holy Spirit may convict some ladies in here of some of the same truths. Because these are Bible truths. But I I will say I'm not ignoring the ladies present. But I am going to talk to men a lot today. I want to talk from the book of Hebrews. What a great, great book. Every book of the Bible is outstanding. Each one has a very unique purpose. God has a plan for every book. But in the book of Hebrews, uh, you have a book that is about a covenant of hope. It's a covenant because in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, uh, were considered to be part of a covenant that God had made with them. They were uniquely God's chosen people and still are. A lot of theological debate on that, but I still believe God's not through with Israel. He's still at work in them. They're still... Um, a part of his plan in fulfilling history. But these Hebrew people, many of them came to faith in Christ. They met the Messiah, the Messiah of the Old Testament, Jesus. And so they became believers, and yet in making that that transition and the unique challenges of being Jewish by heritage and yet having received the Messiah and the tensions with all of that, there was a book that was written uniquely to them called the book of the Hebrews. And it's about hope because the Hebrew people in that day were experiencing persecution, pressures, struggles. It relates to us today so clearly because we have as well today a lot of pressures um, given that we are part of a nation that was founded by Christian men and women who came here uniquely challenged, leaving persecution and yet uh, finding here freedom of religion and now today finding that it's going back around and there's more persecution against Christians and the um, abandoning of those Christian principles. We can identify with Hebrews because of that. And so I want to talk specifically today uh, from the 12th chapter of Hebrews on this subject, encouragement for the race. 
encouragement for the race. Many times in the Bible there are metaphors and analogies relating to sports and a lot of other images that help draw that picture in for us. Several times the Bible talks about running a race. In this particular passage, we're going to talk about how that this race needs encouragement, especially for men. Men, I'm here to encourage you. There's hope and there's help in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, although we're going to focus primarily on verse 3, as you see uh, on the headline, let's read verses 1, 2, and 3 in order to get the tone of what's going on. Verse 1 says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, endurance the race that is set before us. You see, there's the reference to a race. We're running a race. And in running a race, you don't see how many articles of clothing you can take on. You see how many you can take off and still be modest and run the race. You, you lay aside those weights, but run that race with endurance. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Every race has a goal. Every sport has a goal. If you're playing football, there's this big bar thing, H-shaped, down at the end of the field, and that's where you're heading, the goal. If you're playing basketball, there's this plexiglass board up there, and it's got this little metal hoop and some cloth hanging down from it. And that's the goal. And, and you're not there to just see how many times you can dribble the ball if you're playing basketball. You're not there to see how many times you can impress the crowd and make them uh, clap their hands or cheer. You're there to get that ball in that goal. And the Bible is saying, looking unto Jesus, that's our goal. He's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I want you to notice the struggle of Christ. He went to, to the cross and through the, and the pain and the suffering of the cross, he'd endured that. And he didn't enjoy the shame of it. He despised the shame, but is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's now accomplished. He's reached his goal, and it's all been victorious. And we're to look to him as the model of one who endured difficulty. He, had, he endured hard times. He knows what it's like to go through a tough time. But verse 3, I want us to focus on for our primary consideration. It says, for consider him. Now, who's the him? Well, it's Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He put up with the hostility of people who were sinners when he was perfect and right and sinless. He was the right one, and yet he let those who persecuted him keep going on. He didn't zap them. He didn't say, I'm going to call God down to put fire on them and judge them. He endured it. He endured it. And he said, consider him lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Lest you become weary and discouraged. Literally, that discouragement is deep, deep discouragement in your soul. 
There's a time today when more and more people are getting discouraged. And in fact, men are often getting discouraged and quitting. I'm here today to say we don't need any quitters. This is not a time to quit. Men are quitting on marriages. They're quitting on their children, abandoning children like never before, and, and wives and children. They're, they're quitting on church. Just, well, I don't want to go to church anymore. I didn't like something that the pastor said, or I didn't like the song they sang. I quit. I'm tired of wimpy men who are running around here quitting on everything because I don't think those men are men of the stripe that God talks about in his word who are godly men I don't know of any greater man who was more manly than Jesus Christ. He endured all of that and he never quit. I'm here to encourage us today to not quit. But to, as a body, as, as a whole bunch of people together, to stay in the race. And that's what this verse is about. It's encouragement for the race. Before we get into the details of that third verse... Uh, let me take a few minutes, <clears throat> and if you're looking at your note sheet, I had put on there that the word, the, the phrase, let us, is used 12 times throughout the book of Hebrews. Let us. Now, that's an important phrase, because the phrase is a word, first of all, of encouragement. It's saying, come on, come on, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this, and it's sort of motivational encouraging. We need motivation, we need encouragement. But behind that phrase is something else that we need to understand. The second word in there is the little word us. That little pronoun is very, very important. It's all about the team. It's about the team. It doesn't say, I want to encourage just you, but us. It's not about me, it's about us. We're living in a day when individualism is the dominant philosophy of life. Individualism. And it's all over the map. Everybody is right. That's what individualism says. Everybody's right. Everybody can do their own thing. And if it suits you, then it must be okay. May not suit me, but what I'm suited with, that's okay for me. That's individualism. And there is absolutely no room in the Bible for individualism. None at all. The Bible doesn't talk about individuals except as we one by one by one come to faith in Christ. But the Bible talks about us in plural terms. We are the body of Christ. And a body is not made up of one person, not even one part, but many. And every part, the Bible says, has to do its unique function or the rest of the body doesn't work. It's about us. The Bible calls us not only the body of Christ, but a family. And a family is a group. The Bible calls us a holy priesthood. It doesn't call us a holy priest or a bunch of individual priests, but a priesthood. We are priesthood of believers. That's plurality in all of those cases. The Bible over and over and over focuses on the fact that we are many, but we are one. And individualism does not fit into that context. We're the church, the body of Christ. And men, it's time for us to understand that being part of a team, we need, to, we need to bow to the team. We need to submit to the team. You see, it's a team effort. And just like in basketball, it's a crazy thing if one player thinks, hey, it's all about me. You know what happens? The team goes down. In football, 
Same thing happens. It's all about me. I'll do as I please. I don't care what the rest of the team's going to do. They're running and blocking over here. I'm going over there. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It doesn't work, does it? Never does. I absolutely love uh, an orchestra, a symphony. I don't go to them often, just don't have much opportunity. But when I get to hear a symphony, see all those stage areas just filled with instrument after instrument, and it's not one violin, it's a bunch of them, a bunch of horns, and, and uh, you know, all those instruments up there. And the only reason that it is enjoyable is because they're all in tune with each other, and they're all working together, and it's, and it's a crazy thing if that, you, you know, that, that maestro, he's up there and he's always poised and leading, and then all of a sudden, a horn goes, you know, that wasn't the place to put it. And he's like, my, everybody in the audience is like, oh, what did he do that for? Or in the middle of a quiet moment, the violins are sweetly playing, and the drummer goes, boom. You know, like, oh, man, what are they doing? What's that? Just blows it. You know, the enjoyment is not in one person standing out and saying, I'll beat this drum when I want. I'll play this horn when I want. It's all about the whole symphony, the orchestra, playing together, working together in perfect time, and when that happens, it is just fabulous. It is a great pleasure to sit back and listen to beautiful music. So pretty they recorded. But you notice they never record the, the times when one person just went out on their own and, and did their own thing. They record the orchestra. You know, in the body of Christ, we have a lot of lessons we need to learn. Let us, 12 times in the, in the book of Hebrews, let us, let us, let us. It's about us working together. Let me show you just a couple of those. We don't have time to do them all, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says, Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. There was a promise of Canaan rest. These people were promised to go into Canaan, and yet they did not. And it's talking about them as an example. It says, therefore, be diligent to enter into the rest that God has promised you, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. And it pointed to the example of disobedience of the, of the Hebrew children. And again, this is a book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It was pointing to the Hebrews of the Old Testament, saying that those people disobeyed out in the wilderness. Now, the Bible is very clear to describe what that disobedience was. Do you know what it was? They refused to listen to the coach. They, Moses, they complained, they griped, they were bitter. Why doesn't he do this? Where's God in all that? And they just were a bunch of murmuring, griping people. The Bible's very clear. That's what, that was the big deal. And as a result, a whole generation of millions of Jews missed Canaan. God shut down the whole operation and said, you're not going to get into my rest, my best. It was a bunch of individuals, but it messed up the whole team. Let us not do that. Let us learn the lessons of the failures of those who tried to do their own thing and missed the team's goal. Millions missed Canaan. It goes on in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, just a few verses down. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, the Jews were very important 
uh, had a very important focus on the high priest. But our high priest is now Jesus who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Our confession. We say things. We confess. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I, I believe the Bible. And then we go out and vote against the Bible, and we talk against the Bible, and we live against the Bible. This needs to hold fast. Let us, men, it's time for men to be the ones to say we're going to hold fast to the confession of our faith. This is about us doing it together. And that's why, men, we need accountability with each other. Men need some other men to say, you know, brother, this, this view you've espoused here that you've been talking about, that's not consistent with God's word. Before it gets to the church and tears up others, you ought to have a friend who will say, let me encourage you. This is not to complain against one another. It's to motivate and encourage one another, accountability. A couple of verses down in verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Now in this fourth chapter, this is the third time he said, let us, let us, let us. This time he says, Come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is talking about prayer. The throne of grace is where we go in prayer to meet God and to experience his forgiveness and his grace. And he's saying, men, come on. Prayer is not something that women are supposed to do. Just, just that. Now, women, you, you, you are to pray like everybody else. But I'm saying men can't just hand that over and say, okay, the women are praying, we quit. No, let the women be prayer warriors as they should, but men ought to be equal prayer warriors. It's not a man's job or a woman's job. It's a believer's job. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Pray effectively. Chapter 6 of Hebrews, the very first verse says, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us... Let us move on, go on to, and the word perfection is also translated maturity. In other words, you know what this says, men? Let me, let me give you the modern day translation. It says this, men, grow up. That's what it says, grow up. Now I say that to me, I'm not speaking down to you. There are times when somebody needs to look at me and say, Alan, grow up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe I'm acting a little immature about that. We need that. Grow up. Move on. Not going back to the same old foundation of dead works and faith toward God. In other words, that had its place and its time. But grow up. Move on. A lot of times as a pastor, I wish I could look some people in the eyes and say, Brother, grow up. Because there was just such pettiness and immaturity about the way people were handling. And you know, every time it was just all, it was an all about me kind of thing. Well, I think the church ought to do what I want. I want this and I want that. And it ought to be about me. Anytime you get an individual who thinks they are the body of Christ, they are the one that knows more than anybody, is closer to God than anybody. They're probably the furthest from God than anybody. And they're not on the team. They're out there trying to invade the team and disrupt what God's doing. The symphony is not playing when that one is just out there beating that drum, tooting that horn or whatever on their own little agenda. And, and this just, just doesn't work. Grow up, it's saying. Move on. And, and then another quick example in Hebrews 10, there are three more back to back to back. Let us, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Get, get close to God. 
in heart close, not just intellectually, and that's fine, that's an element of it, but it's, it's not just geographically, well, I'll come close to God by just going to church. No, it's more than that, a heart closeness. True heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, and it's dealing with a heart here, a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what an evil conscience does, men? It'll cause us to pursue por- pornography, which 50% of the men in churches today are doing. And some say it's 80%. I've heard all kinds of things, but it's high. An evil conscience and trying to feed that will take you down the wrong road. And that's why you need another man, a brother, who can help hold us accountable. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible talks about. We need. Draw near. And, and that's talking about purity. The very next verse, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Another repeated statement to hold on to what we're talking about. That's talking about integrity. Integrity, men, when you say it, when you're confessing it, hold on to it, live it. And then the very next verse, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Consider one another. In other words, respect each other and stir up love and good works. Now, I've seen men stir up a lot of things in church before. But how many men do you know that have the reputation of stirring up, motivating people in love and good works? How many men, if we had your funeral this afternoon, which we hope we don't, obviously, but if we did, how many people would say, you know, one thing about this guy, he motivated, he stirred up love in others, love of God, the love of Scripture, and, and just motivated people to do the right thing, good works. That, that's what we're all about. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Not quitting, but staying in the race. Coach Jerry Moore of Appalachian State University football coach is a member of church where I've pastored in recent years. And Coach Moore would see him every Sunday. Even if he played in Georgia on Saturday night, he was in church Sunday morning. Unless the ESPN dragged him out, uh, which they did a few times. After he beat, um, they beat Michigan, he was in church the next morning. We had a lot of fun that day, in fact. Um, but Coach Moore likes to say, losing is not the greatest tragedy. Quitting is. Losing is not the real bad thing. Quitting is. Whiners and quitters. There's just no room. The most annoying people in the world to me are whiners and quitters. Usually they're the same people. Let me just give you four statements on how to make sure you don't go down that road, okay? Number one, don't let suffering cause you to quit. Don't let suffering cause you to quit. Oh, we'll have suffering times. We'll have bad times. Things are not going to go our way. It might be an illness. It might be somebody giving you a hard time that's a fellow deacon or a fellow Sunday school teacher or a friend. And you think, well, I'm not going to church. I'll have to look at them. Don't be a whiner and a quitter on that. Don't let suffering cause you to be bailing out on God. Look at that verse 3. That's what we're focusing on. It says, consider him, that's Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's an example of the one who endured such hostility against, uh, from sinners against himself. Hey, Jesus did it. Why do we think we're any better? That we shouldn't have to go through this. We're going to experience hard times, sickness or disease. It strikes everybody. Cancer's not for the lost people. 
Death is not just for lost people. Christians die. Christians get sick. Christians get cancer. Christians lose jobs. Christians lose retirement. It happens to all of us. It rains on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. We should never look at ourselves and think, well, I'm special. I'm God's child. I shouldn't have to go through this. No, we're part of the team. We're on God's team with the family, and we're all equally subject to the same struggles, and Jesus was no different. The Bible's filled with stories of men and women who stood in, for truth and godliness in time of suffering and difficulty. And we don't have time to go over Job's story and so many others like them. Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.29, and he said to them very frankly, to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, yeah, I confess him, I believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's just part of the game. I can see it now. Football player saying, he hit me, I quit. You, you'd, you'd say, good grief, what's he doing in the Super Bowl? And we're going to see a lot of Super Bowl stuff coming up in the next week. I heard it's coming. Uh, a lot of talk about that. You know what? You don't see whiners and quitters in the Super Bowl. And Christians need to be in, the, in God's Super Bowl, staying on target until the victory is won and the glory is all to God. And that's what Paul is talking about. Oh, we're going to experience that suffering. It's just part of it. It's a badge of honor as Christians. Paul wrote to Timothy because Timothy was a young pastor who was struggling, had challenges. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I'm going to stay in the race, he said to Timothy. And you do too, Timothy. He repeated to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's persecution and there's difficulty and it's going to come our way. And we've all had problems. I've had problems before. I get problems. Your pastor has problems. I remember one time when I got sick that I didn't think was a good thing. I think I might have shared this with maybe your deacons once or something, but I had a, a trip that I went to Korea and I was to preach one week in one church and one week in another. The first week was in a small church. They had um, 34 members and we uh, went there and uh, preached and they had 35 people saved that week. That's great. See the church double in size. The next week we were to go to a larger church and we had a couple of days in between and in those couple of days I got sick. International disease. You know what that is? You don't need a description, do you? I got sick, and I mean, I was sick and sick and sick all day long Saturday. Well, there's a guy on my team. I had, it was me and three lay leaders, uh, an engineer who um, was an engineer for NASA. He designed the tile. He was on the team that designed the tiles uh, on the bottom of the space shuttle, the heat tiles. His wife was an engineer also, and she was on that team. That was a great bunch, really sharp folks. I mean, no lack of intelligence there, really sharp, and, and they love the Lord. And then I had a youth minister with me. Well, they had watched me that first week, and they'd been involved in some things in the ministry. Uh, and, uh, and, and Dan was this engineer. He comes into my room late Saturday and says, man, what are we going to do? Tomorrow morning we're supposed to go to another church and start a series of services. What are we going to do? I said, well, I guess it's not what are we going to do. It's what are you going to do, Dan? Because uh, 
You know, last week I had this word for word. They had required us to write out everything you're going to say and give it to the translator so you could easily move along. And I said, Dan, I've got it all here. You just stand up there and read this, and the translator will take it. And he just, no, no, no. He put up his hands. He said, no, no, no. I can't do that. I'm just a layman. I said, just a layman? Dan, what does that mean? I mean, here's an engineer designing stuff that's going to the moon and back and around the world. What are you talking about, you just a layman? You mean there's two levels of salvation. There's us preachers who are really saved. And then there's you laymen who not quite made it yet. You're sort of working on it, sort of half saved or whatever. Is is that the way it is? No. We're all saved by the same grace of God in Jesus Christ. And when we're saved, we're saved fully, completely to serve. I said, Dan, don't just go around this just a layman. Look, let God use you. He brought you here to Korea for that. But see, I'm sitting there thinking, God, why'd you bring me to Korea to throw up all day? I mean, I could have done this in Charlotte. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, what? Well, God had a plan. He had a plan to show that layman something, this engineer. And, and ended up, I stayed in the hotel room, uh, and uh, Dan went on to preach, and uh, he took the notes, and, and he just stood up this church. It was a good-sized church, about this size. Uh, and uh, that Sunday, I stayed at the hotel, but at the end of the day, here, here they come. Team comes back into my hotel room. By the end of the day, I'm okay. End of the day, I'm perking up fine. And I said, how'd it go, guys? And, and Dan said, man, it was awesome. We had 81 people saved today. 81. And I'm thinking, God, you know, the preacher had 35 last week. And uh, <laughs> just a layman, 81. You know, God, this is not quite fair here. <clears throat> I said, that's great, Dan. And he said, yeah, we had three people say that God called them in the ministry as well. We had, it's a great, great day. I'd say, yeah, it sounded pretty good. Dan started crying a little bit, and uh, he said, you know, Alan, I've never led anybody to Christ in my life before today. And he's just crying, and I said, well, Dan, you know, don't cry about it. 81's not a bad start. If, uh, <laughs> you, you do better next time, and uh, don't, you know, you're just a layman. Hey, hey, guys, you know, God allowed me to suffer. So that he could teach a message, a lesson to another person in the body of Christ who needed to see that there's no such thing as just a layman. We're servants of God, a part of the kingdom, priesthood of believers. And he has a purpose and a plan in what he's going to do in all of that. Number two, don't let weariness cause you to quit, this verse says. Don't let weariness. We said, first of all, first of all, don't let suffering cause you to quit. But don't let weariness. You know, we get tired, don't we? You can get, we, we call that burnout. Sometimes burnout is just a, a word for saying, I don't have my priorities in good order. Now, come on, that's what it is. I'm, I'm putting too much energy in something that really doesn't matter. I need to get my priorities in order. And it's weariness. In this verse, verse 3 again, we read that, consider him who endured such hostility. But look at the next phrase, lest you become weary. Keep your eyes on Jesus so you will not get weary. You will not burn out. You will not get so tired that you say, I quit. I quit. I'm just tired. Yeah, I've heard that before. But guys, wait a minute. Just back off before you you make that statement, I quit. And spend some time alone with God. Uh, We get tired. We get physically tired. We get emotionally drained. 
And the Bible, we don't have time to get into it, but the Bible talks about all different kinds of rest. It rests in creation, uh, rest through Christ, rest for eternity. We need to understand that there's a time for rest. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, let us not grow weary. There's another let us. Let us not. Motivation. Don't grow weary in well-doing. And it's not just let you not, but us. Come on, encourage one another. Get the team together, huddle a little bit and say, come on, don't wear out, brother. And, and we need that. Sometimes one of the players on the team saying, man, I missed that ball, I missed that shot. Oh, come on, you're all right. Don't you get discouraged. And the rest of the team comes to the aid. That's what it's all about. Don't grow weary in doing good because in due season we shall reap if you do not lose heart. Lose heart is the quitter's attitude. You just lose all hope. And that's why we need each other. And somebody, you know, a team that can be behind can turn that score by somebody on the team saying, no, we're not going to quit. Stay in there. Number three, let me say, is this. Do not let discouragement cause you to quit either. We don't need to go the route of suffering causing us to pull the plug or weariness, but discouragement. A lot of people just, after the suffering that leads to the weariness, that we go to the route of so discouraged. We might even call that depression for some. Look at that verse 3 again and look at the last phrase of it. Again, it starts off considering Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And what he endured lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That word souls is there for a reason. Because it's talking about the very depths of who you are. I mean, down deep. I'm just tired. I'm just depressed. I don't know where to go from here. Men, that's where we need each other. We need each other. And it's some accountability to come to each other and say, no, brother, you're not going to quit. We're going to get through this. And sometimes it's a physical thing. We're going to get through this cancer. Sometimes it's a, a marital. We're going to get you through this marital crisis. Come on, brother. Come on, let's get together. We're going to get you through this. Uh, I lost my job. We're going to get you through this. Come on. We're going to walk with you through this. We need each other. In first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And the word comfort here is not talking about just relaxing and being at ease. It's really a beautiful Greek word that means an encourager. It's not just comfort in terms of pleasure, but encouragement. God comforts us. He's the God of all encouragement and, and encouraging and motivating, who, who in verse 4 says, who comforts us in our hard times, tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble and the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, you've got a story. You know one of the problems we have with us guys in the church? We don't tell our story of the problems, the hard times we've been through. I just told you a few minutes ago about a, 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 my frustration in getting sick in Korea when I was over there to do ministry. And I thought, God, you're supposed to protect me and keep me healthy. I'm here for you. But I have that story to tell you that God had a bigger purpose than Alan Bloom. His goal is not now. I've got to keep Alan comfortable. Got to keep him happy. No, it's not. And I had that story to tell to you. You've got stories better than that. The other brothers around you need to hear what God's doing. Your children need to hear. 
We need that encouragement. Acts 9.31 tells us that comfort and encouragement can come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to encourage us. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. There was a unity and a building up in the church. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were keeping their eyes on Jesus. And in the comfort, the encouragement of, of who? The Holy Spirit. And as a result, they grew. They were multiplying. People were coming there wanting to know, what is this all about? That there's such excitement, such... Do you know why people go to basketball games and football games? They go because they like to see people lose, correct? I mean, the best times are when people are, when the team's losing. Is that right? No. We go to teams because we're on a winning streak here. I'm going to be there. And the stands fill up when the, when the winners are coming out and there's another win and another win and another win. And there's a world wanting to know, what are you losers over at the church doing? What are you losers over there doing? Heard y'all had a little sprawl, a brawl about something, something about $10.42 over a mop the janitor bought. You know, something or other. Church lo- the world loves it when they hear, wow, we've heard that church is a winner's church. That, that uh, we saw a man who was in, in all kind of drunkenness and he's come to Christ and we saw this, we saw I had a man that I sat at lunch with just a week ago and he's been a friend of mine for several years. Several years ago he came to me and told me, he said, I want to tell you that if my testimony will be valued to anybody, you tell it. And I, can't, I don't have time to tell you his testimony in, in every way, but he said, I was a gambler. He said, and he was a very successful businessman. He said, let me tell you, this was phenomenal. I didn't know you could do this. I was in a position to where I could pick up my cell phone and make a call to Las Vegas. They would fly a jet to wherever I am, pick me up, take me out there, put me up in the hotel because I was a big roller. And if I wanted to do that right now, I could make that phone call and they'll still come after me. I said, wow, I never heard of that. He told me his story, and again, I can't tell you all, but he said, I saw that that was a dead-end road, and it was all about me, and it was not about God and Christ, and I've abandoned that, and he has a phenomenal story beyond that. But it's, it's all about being set free, encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Encouragement comes from the Bible, by the way, too. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, tells us not only is the Holy Spirit encouraging us, but God's Word is, for whatever things were written in the Word were written for our learning, and the Bible addresses gambling. The Bible addresses all the moral and social ills that we face these days. We're written for our learning so that we, through patience and comfort of Scriptures, that is the encouragement of Scriptures, might have hope. That's why we have the Bible. And men, one of the ways that we go wrong so quickly is when we set the Bible down. Well, I've got other things on my agenda. I I need to do that. I'm a Christian. I'm okay. I've read the Bible before. I heard the pastor say, I need to move on. Let me just close quickly saying this, and I'm, I'm going beyond the time I'd planned, but let me just say this and, and stop. Number four, don't look back, look ahead. You can always look back and find something, whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago. I just made the ter- most terrible, oh, I just hate that. And we keep focusing on our failure from the past. Hey, give it to Jesus, let it go under his blood, move on. 
Let it, let it be dealt with. Looking unto Jesus. Not, don't look to your circumstances. Don't look to what you have and have not done. Paul said it well in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to this. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not there yet. I've not arrived. I'm not all that I should be. But one thing I do, I'm not looking back, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm looking ahead, reaching toward those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal, the goal of the prize, of the upward call, of my eyes on God in Christ Jesus, because that's what it's all about in this kingdom work. Would you bow your heads with me? And also at this moment, with your heads bowed, stand. Everybody in the room, stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then your pastor is going to take it from here at a time of decision. Father, I thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit, and for your plan for this great church, for the greatness of the work of you bringing this person and this person and this person here. And it's a part of a strategy of you uh, taking this community for Christ, proclaiming Christ, not only to this community, but to this world through this hub of believers. And you've brought each one here. And we pray that we would not look back, that we would not be quitters, that we would not quit on uh, just because things are not going our way, but that we would keep the focus on Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Bless this pastor, Pastor Scott, this staff and leaders of this church to press on toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.